So we've been on this topic of knowing God's voice, knowing God's will for the past month or so. And just a little review of the things that we've talked about. The first thing we talked about was that we needed to know the voice of God. Just like a little child, just like a little child or just like a baby, that they, they know the voice of their mother. And so it's very, very important for us to know the voice of God. And how do we know the voice of God? We discuss two Greek words when it comes to that one word that we um, translate to mean word. And in the Greek language, they have the logos and the rima. And so when we talk about knowing the voice of God, knowing how God speaks to us, the first thing that we understand is that he speaks to us through the Logos, which is the Word of God, basically the Scriptures. And then we go into talking about the Rima, that another way in which God speaks to us, another way in which we can know His voice, is through the spoken words that God uses, either, you know, other, your pastors, leaders, other Christians in our lives, other people in our lives to speak to us. And so we can know God's voice through the Rima, through the Logos, and also through the Rimas. And then we talk about visions and dreams that we often see in the scriptures in which God speaks to us. We spoke about God's creation itself, that God many times, he uses his creation to speak to us so that we understand that there is a God. But then we, we concluded with this by saying, None of this, none of this, the Rima, the visions, the dreams, the things of creation, none of it must contradict with the Logos. It must not contradict with the Word of God. And so we see the scriptures and was Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus talks about watching out for pro- false prophets, watching out for false teachers. And this is what Jesus was referring to, is that these teachers, that these prophets that they often teach things, they often say things that is contradictory to the Word of God. And a part of our whole, the entire Reformation was based upon that, was based upon an emphasis on the Word of God. No longer an emphasis on a pope or anything of that sort, but an emphasis on the Word of God. And it is no coincidence that about 30 years after the invention of the, 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 the press, the, the press machine, that the printing press that there was a reformation because the reformation went back into the Word of God. As the Word of God was um, being printed, as, as people were starting to read the Word of God, because for thousands of years it was closed. It was closed only to certain people. And, and when the Word of God was, when people were starting to read the Word of God, we, we have that reformation. And so, you know, it's also no coincidence that anywhere where Protestant Christians, Christianity spread to, that along with it is literacy. It's literacy because the emphasis is always on the Word of God. And the Hmong culture itself, we lost a lot of, like I said before, we lost a lot of our history in China. Much of our history and our written language was, um, was burned away, was done away with throughout, through wars, after wars, and after wars. And so the Hmong people lived for hundreds of years without a written language in the mountains of Laos and also in Vietnam. But it was Christianity, Protestant Christianity that came to us that brought us our, our language. And that was back in the 50s when Christianity came and put together a written language for the Hmongs once again. And so when we see wherever Christianity spreads to, we see, we always see um, 
the growth of literacy, the ability for us to just read in, in, in language and things of that sort. And then after that, when we talk about knowing the, the voice of God, we went into saying, well, how can we understand it? How can we understand the Word of God? And last week we talked about having to renew our minds. From Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to verse 2, that we are to renew our, our minds. In other words, we are to be born again. We are to be born again. We are to surrender ourselves, surrender our lives, surrender our bodies. You know, that means our eyes, our ears, our lips, the words that we speak, our hands, the things that we do, our feet, the places that we go. Everything we are to surrender it over to God. And that's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to surrender to God. Surrender our own will over to God. And we spoke about that. And let, allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Because the, with, because the Word of God teaches us that it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can understand the things of God. And we read from the Scriptures and we saw that the Scriptures teaches us that apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from having the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that when we read the things of God, that it is nothing to us but just total foolishness. The message of the Gospel is total foolishness to, the, to those who do not have the Holy Spirit within them. And so we talk about needing to have the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ says that he must return to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell with us, so that the Spirit can come and lead us into all truth to teach us about what Jesus Christ has already taught us. And so the Holy Spirit plays a tremendous, tremendous role in our lives. Many times he's, uh, we've talked about this before, that many times in the past the Holy Spirit is often the forgotten God of the Trinity. We talk about the Son, we talk about the Father, but we often have forgotten about the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's understandable because many times as Christians, as, as we look at the culture of Christianity, we oftentimes see how the Holy Spirit is being abused, right? It's how it's being abused and things of that sort. And so a lot of times it creates fear in us and we don't really want to talk about the Holy Spirit anymore. But, stream, but it is extremely, extremely important for us to really emphasize in the Holy Spirit because he is the one that is dwelling in us. He is the one that is with us. He is the one that's guiding us. We are in his presence. And so today we are going to turn and we're going to talk about the will of God. What then is the will of God? Just like anything in life, and just like anything in Christianity, just like anything in politics, actually, just like anything, there's a lot of craziness that goes around topics such as this. You know, there's people that, you know, they would just walk around all day long, and, you know, all of a sudden they trip, they fall down, and they'll say, man, this is God's will for me, right? So you have all kinds of craziness that goes around this. And then there's also another extreme. There's also this other extreme where we believe that the God's will is not knowable, and so we don't want to, so we don't care about it. We don't want to learn about it. We don't want to study about it because we, we see God as, as someone that's just not knowable, that his will, we just can't know it at all. And so there's often extremes in, in theology, just like in any other aspects of our lives. There's always these extremes that often comes around. And so today what we're going to talk about is we're not going to talk about these extremes, but what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what the Word of God says about His will. I remember back in the days, um, back in the 90s or so, when I was growing up, I remember watching on the news, and there's this woman who drowned two of her, child, uh, two of her children. She drowned two of her children, and when she was captured, and when she was interviewed, she even claimed that that was the will of God for her to do that. 
And so we, can, so we see that even things, uh, theological things, can be taken to such extreme, to such extremes such as that. And so we don't want to focus on what people say. Okay? We don't want to focus on what people say. We don't want to focus on what people's ideas of God's will is. We don't want to focus on people's opinion of what God's will is. But we want to look into scripts, the, the, the Bible. We want to look into scriptures and to see, to see what Jesus Christ himself and to see what God has revealed to us about his will. That's the important thing. It's always to, to go back to the Bible to learn about these things. If we don't turn back to the Bible, we just pay attention to people. Everybody has their own opinion, right? Everybody has their own opinion. And so in the scriptures, when we read the word will in the scriptures, in, the, in English, we have one word for the word will. Okay? One word for the word will, which is will. In the Greek language in which the New Testament is written, in, there's actually two words for the word will. And in English, we, dis- we translate these two words into the very, that, that one word, will. And these two words, the first word in the Greek language and the New Testament, when it talks about God's will, it uses the word bolima. Or it uses the word bolima. The second word that talks about will in the Greek language is the word thalima. Okay? So we got bolima. And we got thalima. In the English language, it's simply just the will. But what is the difference between bolima, as according to the Greeks, and thalima? Well, the difference is this. When, when the disciples were, were, were writing the New Testament using the Greek language, to them, when they talked about bolima, bolima talks about the sovereignty of God. It talks about the sovereign will of God. In other words, this is the master plan that God has for the world. And so when, we talk, when they talk about the bulima, they're talking about something that you and I cannot do anything to change it. Okay? That it is the will of God, that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to change this will of God. Nothing we can do to change the bulima of God. It's going to happen whether or not you like it. It's going to happen whether or not we want to participate in it. It's going to happen whether or not we want to believe in Jesus Christ, Right? It's going to happen whether or not we want to accept Jesus Christ in our lives. But the believer of God is going to take place anyways. And a couple of examples about this is in the scriptures. When it talks about the believer, it talks about, the, for example, the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of the Messiah. There's nothing that we can do. Okay, There's nothing that we can do to stop the birth of Jesus Christ. To, to stop the birth of the Messiah. He's going to be born because this is God's plan. This is God's bulima. This is his sovereign will, is to have the Messiah be born. Another thing that we see that talks about the bulima is the judgment of the world at the end. The end of the world, the judgment of God at the end of the world. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And so these two things are things that we can absolutely do nothing about. It's going to take place no matter if we accept it or not. It's going to take place whether or not we believe in it. So when, when the New Testament talks about God's bulima, or God's sovereign will, these are things in which it's talking about. Things that, just, that will happen regardless if we want to participate in it or not. And then the second word, the lima, now this is God's desire will. 
Or in other words, this is God's commanded will to us, yet at the same time, God allows us to participate in that. It's that we get to make a choice within that thelema. Now, this might be kind of controversial because when we often talk about uh, salvation, we have many different uh, Christian groups who understand the grace of God to work in different ways. And I'm not going to get into that today, but I'm going to talk about Wesleyan Arminianism, and I'm going to talk about, about it from that perspective since we are United Methodist Church, right? So we are part of Wesley's uh, theology. And so when, when we talk about Thelema, what we're talking about is we're talking about God. God's plan, but that he allows us to have a choice. In other words, he, he, he commands us to believe in Jesus Christ, but yet it's up to us. Okay? It is up to us to decide whether or not we are going to believe in Jesus Christ. God's not going to force you to believe in Jesus Christ. God's not going to make you believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, That's totally up to you. Even though his will, the word of God teaches us, the scripture teaches us that God does not want anybody to perish. That's the, 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 the thelema. He does not want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come into the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That that is his desire for us. And yet, even in that, he gives us the freedom to choose. Okay, so just to let you guys know, if I was to say this in a different church, you know, for, for other denominations, it might be controversial to them. But like I said, I'm going to speak of, of this from the perspective of uh, uh, Wesleyan theology, because that's who we are. And so something like believe in Jesus Christ or to do his ministry. Right? We are called to be works, workmen of, of God. We are called to, to do the work of God, to do the ministry of God. But yet, God does not force us to do the ministry of God. We are called to participate in it. We are commanded to participate in the, the ministry of God, but he does not force us to do it. And so that, the thelema, that is, that is within our choice as Christians or as, as people. We choose whether or not we are going to take part of God's desired will. But you see, we also have to understand we also have to understand that whatever we choose to do, there's always the bulima that's also in place. And so the bulima is what's going to take place. And so when we make our choice, we often have to think, we, we often have to think about also the bulima, the, the sovereignty of God, the sovereign will of God, the thing that God has predetermined that this is going to happen. And so when the Bible talks about the will of God, these are the two things that the Bible talks about. And in the passage that Alma read earlier here in John chapter 6, it's actually the word in there for will. It's actually the word thelema. It's actually the word thelema. And so as we, we, we look into these passages, and we see what Jesus Christ was saying. We see the, the concern of Jesus Christ when he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, my thelema, my thelema, but to do the thelema or the will of him who sent me. So Jesus Christ is saying that, you know what? I have come down from heaven not to do the things that I want to do, but I have come down from heaven to do the things that the Father wants me to do. And so we see in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also referred to as our older brother in the faith, that, it, that the only thing that he was concerned with throughout his whole life was he was just concerned about the will of God. He was not concerned about becoming a political leader. 
Okay, because they took him many times. They took him aside and said, we're going to make you king of the Jews. And he rejected that. He was not concerned about where he was going to sleep. He was not concerned about what he was going to eat. He was not concerned about any of these things. He was not concerned about whether or not the, the religious people of that time was going to accept his message, right? The religious, the religious leaders of that time rejected his message, but he was not concerned about that. He was not concerned about whether or not the Roman Empire was, was going to find favor with him. He was not concerned about whether or not he was going to become popular among these leaders, popular among these politicians. He was not worried about that. He was not even concerned about that. But we see in the Word of God that the only thing that he was concerned about throughout his life here on earth was that he was only concerned about doing the will of the Father. That was it. Just concerned about that. And his whole life's purpose, his whole life's purpose was all about the will of the Father, about the one who sent him. It was to fulfill that purpose. And we see that his power came from fulfilling the will of the Father. In John chapter 7, verse 16, it says, it says Jesus Christ says this, that my teaching is not my own but it comes from the one who sent me. So even the things that he taught, okay, the things that he taught was not his own. He was not teaching his own opinions. He was not teaching his own way, but he was teaching the things in which God was revealing to him. That's one of the things that's often a challenge for many pastors, such as myself too, because we love, we love our own opinions, right? And we want everybody to, to share our opinions our own opinions. But it's always a struggle understanding that we're not here to share our opinions. We're here to preach the message of the scriptures. And a lot of times we find ourselves in contradiction with that. Our own feelings, many times we find ourselves, our own feelings in contradiction with God. But we are, it is our duty to preach the message of God, even if we struggle with it. And that's the same thing that must apply to all of us too, that we are here to for the will of God, even if our own will, many times we often struggle with that. And in John, uh, John chapter 14, verse 24, Jesus Christ goes on and he says, These words you hear are not my own, but they belong to the Father who sent me. So even the words that he spoke, the words that he spoke, every word that he spoke came from the Father, because that's the only thing that really, really concern him in his life. And all the deeds that he did, everything that he did in his life was all about tr fulfilling the, the purpose that God has given him, to fulfill the will that God has given him. And this will, what is this will? He says, the Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. That is the will of God. Is that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. We will receive salvation. We will be restored back into a relationship with God. That that relationship that was broken in Eden will be restored. Will be restored. And that's what the whole scriptures, that's what the whole Bible talks about. You know, the, 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 the missions, the, the ministry that's been given to us in the Scripture says that it is the ministry, the ministry of, of restoration, restoring us back to God. That as Christians, that is the missions, that is the ministry that God has given to us. God has given to us. And that is what God's will is for us, is to focus on that, is to look upon that, to look upon the Son, Jesus Christ, and everything that we do, and to bring people into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we look at our Lord and Savior, as we look at Jesus Christ and the way that he lived, we have to follow in his footsteps. 
and the things that we are to do. Christians mean follower of Christ. To follow Jesus Christ means that we are to follow the will of God. That we are to be concerned with the will of God above anything else in our lives. We are to be concerned with that. The things of this world, no matter how how much wealth we may be able to, to gather here on earth, no matter how much we have, we can't take that with us. We're going to leave that all behind one day. The only thing that is going to matter is eternity. The only thing that's going to matter is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what needs to be our greatest concern, is the will of God. It's to look upon our uh, to look upon Jesus Christ, to look upon our Lord Jesus Christ, and to believe in Him. That is the will for our lives. So everything that we do as a Christian is to look upon Him. Always look upon Him. And I'm going to go through through this real quick because we're running out of time. But why why are these things important? Why is it important for us to do the will of God? Well, first thing it says in Matthew chapter verse uh, chapter seven verse twenty one says that. Not everyone who says the Lord uh, to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one, the one who does the will of the Father. So it is very important to us to know the will of God is because that it determines our eternal destiny. You know, these are, when, when, when Jesus is saying that those, those who are saying, calling me Lord, Lord, Jesus is talking about people who are very religious. I mean, these are not just your, your regular people who, who don't come to church. These are people who come to church every single day, right? Because they're, they're saying Lord, Lord, they're proclaiming Lord, Lord all the time. And yet Jesus is saying, you know what, that's not, that's not what's going to bring you into the kingdom of God. But it is only the one who does the will of the Father. In other words, only the one who truly look upon Jesus Christ. It's not, the one who comes to, it's not the one who comes to the church and look upon the church, but it's the one who looks upon Jesus Christ and everything that he does. Because that's what the Bible says, that the will is for everyone who looks upon the Son. So that's why it's very important. It's very important for us to know the will of God and to do the will of God. It's because it determines our eternal destiny. It confirms our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, it says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It also provides us a clear direction in life. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 says, Lord, I know that people's life is not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. And so, we, so it provides us, when we look upon Jesus Christ, it provides us a clear direction as to how we are to live our life. It also helps us plan for the future. Helps us plan for the future. Isaiah chapter four, uh, 46, verse 9 to verse 10 says, I am the Lord your God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times and what is still to come. And so it is by knowing the will of God that we know the beginning and the end. God will reveal these things to us so we will be able to plan for our future. The next thing is that it is commanded for us to know the will of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It also keeps us sound in our teachings. It says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak of my own. And so by doing the will of God, it keeps our teaching in the church to be sound and to be as according to God's ways and not according to our own ways. Also results in answered prayers. 
For in John chapter 9, verse 31, it says, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he listens to the godly person who does his will. And so by knowing God's will, by following his will, it results in answered prayers. And the last thing is that it brings spiritual blessings to us. As we read in Deuteronomy, if you fully obey the Lord your God, then you will be a blessed nation. You will be a blessed, blessed people. And so I want us to understand here today that the will of God is extremely important for us to know. And that the will of God is for us to always to look upon Jesus Christ in everything and in all things that we do. And there's nothing else in life that is more valuable than that. There's nothing in life that's more concerning than just to, just to be concerned with the will of God. Just as Jesus Christ was not concerned about anything else except the will of God, we as God's children are to do the same thing, to be concerned about the will of God. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much that through your words that you have revealed to us what your will is for our lives. And that will is for us to continue to look upon Jesus Christ, not only today, Father, but for the rest of our life until the day that we return to be in your glory. Father, we ask that you be with our church and we that you continue to keep our eyes open and you continue to lift our eyes upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us the strength to be able to do it. And so, Father, we lift everyone up to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.